What's up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to the Comet ML Office Hours powered by the Artist of Data Science. I am your host, Harpreet Zahota. I'm super excited to have all of you guys here. Those of you tuning in right now, whether you're on LinkedIn, whether on YouTube, whether you are on Twitch, you are more than welcome to join us here. I'm going to drop a couple of links right there in the comment section that you can click on to join us right here in the room. Or you can just leave your comments. If you're shy, you can leave your comments right there in the chat itself and i'd be happy to uh to answer your questions as they arise my friends super excited to have all of you guys here hopefully you got a chance to tune in to the episode i released on friday with dennis will uh he is a data engineer based out of berlin we had a great chat um and I, I know dennis through uh through linkedin we connected that way i was sponsoring his linkedin page for a while because uh, he's putting out such great content always good to give back to creators man that's what it's all about uh super excited to have all of you guys here um you know we'll get into your questions as they arise but i want i want to i want to talk about something real quick i want to talk about what makes data science so unique right and i think there's three key reasons why data science is so unique one it is a meta skill two it is permissionless and three, you can create your own experience. All right, let's dig into this a little bit more. First of all, how is data science a meta skill? You're probably wondering what the hell a meta skill is. So meta skill is essentially just a higher order skill that enables and empowers other skills to happen. It's the foundation on which you're able to engage with new skills and new uh, knowledge and technology more effectively. So in the case of data science, it's a combination of several different knowledge bases and skill sets, critical thinking, problem solving, programming, engineer, ma engineering, math, statistics, business acumen, communication, project management, just to name a few. So a lot of university programs and boot camps out there, I've noticed, tend to focus primarily on acquiring the technical knowledge and teaching you individual tools of the trade. It's because the rest of those skills that I just mentioned, they're very difficult to train and teach. Uh, and those programs certainly you know, don't teach you how to put all of that together to make you into a cohesive uh, candidate, a cohesive, robust data science, so to speak. The second thing I want to talk about is this concept of permissionlessness, permissionless, right? So if we can start by contrasting data science to some other professions out there, right? especially those careers where you're legally required to have some specific certification or degree to do the job. To become an accountant, you have to enroll in the CPA professional education program, complete 30 months of relevant accounting experience and finish four education modules during full-time work experience. And I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than that, right? To become an actuary, even after you complete a degree in math or stats, you need to pass a battery of exams and additional coursework that's required by these governing societies. And that's just a couple of these examples. There's many, many countless career paths where you have to have permission by some governing body to be, uh, to rightfully call yourself on the income. But we don't have that in data science. And that's because in data science, you can create your own experience. You just need a lot of creativity and ingenuity to make it happen. And the way you can prove that you have what it takes to do the work of a data scientist is by having a portfolio of amazing projects, right? So in those fields that we just discussed, uh, the concept of having personal projects to demonstrate your understanding and command doesn't really exist. It's not like a accountant can go do a personal accounting project and say, hey, I'm going to be an accountant now, right? It's not like an actuary can do an actuarial project and you know demonstrate that they have the, the skill to do the job, right? But in data science, you can create your own experience, right? Um, you know, that anybody, anybody can become a data scientist. You don't need anyone's permission, right? Anybody can get set up with Python, R, or Java. Anyone can download VS Code or whatever IDE of choice to, and start writing code. Anyone can set up a SQL database on their local machine um, and start writing code. So it, it is entirely permissionless to break into data science. Like the, uh, the barriers to entry are, are pretty much non-existent. Obviously, you have to go through the interviewing process and they're tough, but they're tough for a, a reason. Uh, but that being said, I just want to go off on a little bit of a you know rant and tirade just to get the uh, conversation flowing. I'm excited to be here with you guys. I see a bunch of you tuning in on LinkedIn. 
feel free to join us on LinkedIn. I'm going to be dropping right here the link for you to come and join us in the room. Uh, please do, man. Please come hang out. Uh, so far, we got Marin and we got Leah. Leah, good to see you. Um, happy to have all you guys here. So let's go ahead and just jump into questions. Marin or Leah, if either if you have a question, let's uh, let's go ahead and get started. Also, Marin has a very cute uh, cute dog there as well. Um, so so anybody have a question? I know Marin, you had a question um, before we uh, we started broadcasting. So definitely feel free to to ask that and let's let's dig into it. Uh, yeah, my question is. I sort of have gone through dancers myself. I had a experience with a company interviewing three weeks ago. Uh, I think I did a very well on the first round with the take-home assignment, uh, but received an email that unfortunately were not moving with the application for the second round. And actually, I requested a feedback from the hiring manager. She was very kind to actually agree and the next day after I requested the feedback we had a I think 45 minutes chat and he, he said that he was impressed with the submission but there were just too many applicants the number that he gave me was really something mind-boggling he said that they had 900 applicants for the position of that scientist and to me, uh, I was thinking something like 100 to 100 maybe. Uh, so he had a couple of constructive criticism points about my submission, but at the end of the day, he said, uh, there were just too many applicants and a bunch of them came up a little bit better than you. And I said, that's fine, uh, no problem. I know that the competition is very strong and there are people with more experience than me. Uh, surprisingly, a couple of days ago, three weeks after our conversation, uh, the same person reached out to me via email and said, hey, listen, would you be open to talk again? We had a call and he said, "How are you still interested in the position? How about we bring you for a second round? Uh, all sorts of, yeah, of course I said yes but all sorts of red flags and bells started ringing in my head because three weeks have passed. It's not like one week and he's all of a sudden decided to, to bring me in uh, and asked what changed or what made him to call me again. He said, well, listen, we had a very good conversation during our feedback call and you followed up with something that we have done, looked at our blog page, had done research, suggested some, some different approaches. I was impressed with that. Also, I looked up your projects on GitHub and I also was impressed with that. That's why I decided to, to call you again. So that, that's a valid answer, but that's probably half of the answer uh, because I have sent him my links to the projects much earlier, right after our feedback call. So if he were really interested in looking at my projects, he would have done it at the time and be impressed at the moment when he saw them. So uh, my, my thinking is they had candidates that they brought for second round. They didn't like anybody. That's one possibility. Or the person they liked, let's say they brought maybe five, six to the second round. They didn't like the five of them, like one of them, made him an offer, made them an offer, and the person refused. Yeah, so that's, that's exactly that's what sort, I that, That's sort of the scenario that is going in my head. Yeah. Um, I agreed, but the fact that he didn't leave any door open or he didn't follow up with me uh, right away, the, the manager, uh, ma makes me a little bit hesitant. Uh, I'll I'll continue with them, but don't know what to make of it. Uh, yeah, and be, yeah, because I, I would... be, be, because this is my first experience, something like that has happened to me. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of experience in different areas. I don't know what it means in the realm of data science and machine learning. So yeah. if you guys have experience like that or can sort of give some sort of 
what is your what are your thoughts on that? I pretty much the exact same thoughts as you have. Like, I mean, if you're in one of those bigger markets, I think you're in California. So naturally you're going to have more competition for jobs just because there's more people there. Right. So that's just a natural byproduct of that. Um, so 900 people for a job application in, you know, California, I would say definitely probably realistic. Um, and you're right. That's pretty much what happened. They probably had a, they probably shortlisted a few candidates. Right. And from that shortlist, a few candidates that went on to second round, third round, whatever, maybe their top one or top two picks, you know, maybe one of them just flat out refused the offer. They got another offer, had competing offers, so on and so forth. Um, and that's likely what happened, right? The, the, you know, the top candidate for sure didn't accept the offer for whatever reason, right? Could have been that the salary was too low. Could have been that they had a better competing offer, whatever the reason is. And now they're just going back to their pool of candidates, kind of like their reserve candidates. So out of that 900, like you're in the short list of people, right? So that's good. Like you're, they're still considering you as a potential candidate. That's still a good signal. Um, I, mean, I, I wouldn't take any red flag from it. I mean, that's just what happens in companies, right? People interview a ton of people. People will try to, at the end of the day, they're making the best choice for themselves as a company, right? And at that stage with the candidates they had in the pool at that time, maybe some of the candidates were a better fit to proceed along with the interview procedure right um and you know for whatever reason that didn't work out now they're going back to to some of the uh candidates that they had like you know in in reserves so to speak like the the people uh, on the bench i, I yeah. accept that it just to me it seems three weeks is a long period but again i draw on my experience in different fields uh, electrical engineering there the interview process is really quick up for a week and you probably have gone through all the possible candidates and two weeks later you will know if they have accepted or not. Yeah, so, job search process for data science is a bit bit longer and I can imagine this is kind of towards the tail end of summer here. People are on vacation, people are you know out of office, whatever. It's hard to coordinate schedules. If this is a company where a lot of the team is remote in different time zones, like you know things like that, scheduling conflicts, can can happen so you know they probably had like three or four candidates that they moved after the first round and interviewed three or four candidates could take three or four weeks right so it could take some time um so that's just i think standard there I mean, oh, you, okay. might get, you might get lucky and get a, a quick quick uh, interview process um but typically i think three weeks probably is about average should it be shorter? Oh, okay. Probably, but, uh, you know. Okay, I shouldn't take this as something like it's something unusual. Yeah, no. Uh, no. Why so late or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, okay. uh, I wouldn't yeah. take it as. Thanks. That, that's it, 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 shooting. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Leah, how's it going? How's your weekend been? How's your week looking, oh, coming up? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I'm happy I was able to to pop in today. I've been meaning to for a while, so I'm following through with my commitment to do that. So that's good. Um, thank you. And uh, Maren, thank you for kind of sharing about that and about kind of the questioning of, oh, you know, is this a red flag? Is this taking too long? Um, I'm going through the interview process myself and doing it over the summer. Like it's, I've noticed it's really slowed down. Um, I recently relocated from the United States to to the UK. I live in Bristol, England now, and I kind of had to learn the rhythm of you know like recruitment uh, in a different country as well. So you know, keeping in mind you know summer holidays and just uh, you know a different environment, um, I really had to practice some resiliency and patience <laughs> about putting applications out and having people get back in touch with me. And I think just by being responsive, you and yourself, and the fact that you had that follow-up call is awesome. Um, and you, you obviously made a good impression that that kind of triggered the hiring manager to go and, and to look at your portfolio. And again, that, you know, as you mentioned at the first about how having a portfolio is so important and how you, anyone can do it. Like you don't have to have, you know, the gods of data science <laughs> bestow upon you the ability to do a, a portfolio. You can just do it for fun and, and share your best work with others as an example of what you can do. 
um, I, I wouldn't take it as a weird thing, a, a red flag that they didn't look at it until a little bit later. Um, I'm having to practice kind of some empathy about, okay, the hiring managers, they're people too, and they're busy and they're looking through, but I just kind of judge, I judge it by like the interactions that I have with people. And if it's positive and I follow up and I'm putting in the energy to show them that I'm interested, um, I just kind of take that as I'm doing my best and they're doing their best. And as long as the interactions that I'm having with them are good, um, I've tried not to get too hung up on, on, on the other stuff. So that's just my two cents in my experience. Yeah, Thanks, Dave. Thanks that. for the feedback. Uh, I have a quick follow-up or sort of a comment on that. Yeah. Uh, when when that person told me, the hiring manager told me that they have 900 candidates for the position, and right away the thought in my head came, hey, listen, I'm transitioning from a different field. In my resume, I have only, I have a data science bootcamp, six or nine months, uh, projects, highlights projects and so on, skills. But the thing that I'm studying is basically the project that I have done. And when a person adding measure has 900 candidates, they're never, they're just going to see all kinds of projects I have done, but they're never going to click on the link and try to see what the project is. So. How I, I know one of the answers how to overcome that is basically when you apply for something, you reach out to the person who posted the project, but even and say, hey, listen, I have applied for this position. I have done work that is very similar to whatever the role you're looking for. You can check my projects here and so on. But even then, and I have been doing it better religiously, so to speak. But even then, when they're overwhelmed with so many candidates, I don't think they have the time to, even if you have that, let's say I'm sending LinkedIn email to them, I don't think they have the time to basically go and pay attention to that. Yeah, this person reached out separately, but I just cannot go and check his project. So well, how, there's how, a thing, do, right? You're, you're how, making... how, do, how do you actually yeah. overcome that obstacle because uh, I don't see another way. Well, you can get 900 resumes. It doesn't mean you're going to get 900 portfolio projects to skim through, right? So by you having portfolio project that really honestly puts you in like the top 5% of candidates. Most people applying for data science roles and I've seen literally thousands of resumes. They don't have projects. They just, you know, they, they're not putting anything on, on their portfolio. Um, so that, that, you know, helps right there. And plus you can get 900 resumes, but out of those 900 resumes, like realistically, you're going to shortlist 30 or 40 and which one, which 30 or 40 are you going to shortlist? Um, ones where uh, ones that are aesthetically pleasing, let's, let's say, put it that way. Right. Uh, so resumes that look good on, on first, you know, kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for first, like impression. So um yeah that's what i say for that like i don't think you're you're at all getting like uh you know they're not looking through every project they're looking through the best candidates projects and even then it's not one person that's looking at it it's usually gonna be members of the team that are that are gonna be looking at it somebody's saying sometimes ml tasks uh so a couple of comments coming in on on linkedin here uh robert robinson says good to see leah pope uh it's good to see leah pope here as well uh, shout out to Asha, just joined in. Uh, Vikas Singh says, sometimes ML, ML tasks feel like they're redundant. What do you say about that? I say you're not doing enough machine learning or not doing enough interesting work. Um, that's what I would say about that. Either that or you're just approaching every problem exactly the same and thinking that just because you have one way of solving a problem under your belt, that that is the way that all problems are solved. Um, so that's what I would have to say about that. What do you, what do you guys say? Are ML tasks repetitive? I don't think they're repetitive um, or redundant. I don't I mean, what do you mean by redundant? Um, let's, let's look up the word redundant, all right? So by redundant, that means not or no longer needed or useful, superfluous, all right? So sometimes ML tasks feel like they're not needed or useful or superfluous. Yeah, okay, I agree with you. That means uh, that, that, I mean, if you're starting from the viewpoint that every single problem in the world should be solved as an ML problem, uh, yeah, things are going to get redundant. That's not the case, right? 
I mean, machine learning is not useful for every single problem. You know what I mean? Um, and probably not even for every single quantitative problem, right? There are some problems that are just deterministic. You don't need machine learning to solve deterministic problems. Uh, you need machine learning to solve problems where there is inherent uh, variability or probability uh, involved, right? That's, that's what I would say about that. Uh, Entry-level data science job often asks for skills that almost cover data engineer, analyst, ML engineer. How can one strategize job search? Do just do projects, right? Like here's the three projects you should do as a data science aspirant. Listen to me, three projects you should do and it'll cover everything there. First project is do a data engineering project and make it simple. Data is everywhere. Go to an API. I don't even care if it's the Weather Channel API. Go to the Weather Channel API, write a script that pulls weather every day at three hour intervals, and then pull that data, do some stuff with it, clean it, and then dump it to a database. I don't even care if it's a local database or a cloud database, whatever. You've just built a ETL pipeline. All right, good. What do you do after that? Second project you should do is just an end-to-end -end machine learning project, right? End-to-end, -end, it, it it, the deployment could be trivial. The deployment could be just serving predictions in a CSV. The deployment could be stashing predictions to a database. The deployment could be a front end that is just deployed locally using Streamlit or whatever, Heroku app. If you want to get super sophisticated, do it on the cloud. Um, but something that just takes data, does transformations to it, uh, has a model built, and then you're exposing that model to new data. And that new data is going through the exact same pipelines and model is you know, predicting on it. And predictions are stashed or you know doing uh one of those few things that i just described then you should also do a project here says analyst yes find data come up with an interesting question explore the data do the work and see what interesting insights you find and communicate that right like it's not hard to do each one of those projects will take you no more than a month and a half to do right each one of those projects fully thought out will take you a month and a half to do right now, if you're a complete beginner, don't know anything about data science, then maybe it might take you three or four months to do one of those projects, which is fine. That's your learning curve. Um, but this bullshit about like people complaining that these jobs, yeah, okay, there are unrealistic job expectations out there. There are. Every fucking industry has that. Every industry has that, dude. Just get over it. Like this, like this shit is just like feeling sorry for myself, like, oh man, like, what do I get all these challenges, all these jobs out there? They want these candidates to have all these, then don't apply for those jobs then, dude. Like, just don't apply for those jobs. That's probably not a job that you should apply for. There's hundreds of other jobs. For every one ridiculous job that just sticks out in your mind, there are hundreds of other job opportunities out there that are more realistic, right? But this, I can't catch a break attitude is, it's just not, it's not going to get you anywhere in life. Uh, rant is over. I'm just, I'm just gonna stop there and uh, and and stop talking. Uh, see if anybody has uh, uh, any follow up on that because I I, get, I can get worked up over shit like this, man. Uh, like this people like this. I can't catch a break attitude like this 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 thing like like this mentality that is so hard to get off the starting block. You're not serving yourself well by thinking like that, man. So how do you strategize the job search? Build the skills, apply for jobs, reach out make content, get noticed, do whatever your, your competition is not doing and just do what you can to stand out, right? Okay. Go, Marion, go for it. Or Leah, go for it. Let's hear from, let's hear from Leah first and then go okay. to, uh, yeah, let's go, go to Leah. Go yeah, like I've, I've had to learn, like I used to be such a stickler about, oh, look at this job spec. It's got this laundry list. And if I didn't meet like 90%, I wouldn't even consider it. Now I'm kind of looking at, well, if I've got 75, if I have a reasonable answer to 75% of the requirements, um, I'm going to go ahead and submit. And if they don't, you know, if I don't meet the requirements, it'll get screened out. You know, you will never get a job you don't apply for. Um, so that's something that I've, I've learned. And, um, you know, for the things, the jobs that I get really kind of excited about, I'll go a little extra, make a little extra effort. And, you know, if I land like the first interview, I'll go ahead and try to do like a small project, uh, typically like a exploratory data analysis project on data for that company. 
So I'll try to find uh, publicly available data, whether it's um, like reviews, product reviews on Trustpilot or, you know, if it's talked about on Twitter or Google, you know, Google Play reviews, if it's an app um, and just try to demonstrate, I'm interested in your company. I can do stuff with your data. And it might not even be, you know, a project that you know, you're not going to do a lot of machine learning on like Trustpilot reviews where you've got like 150 reviews, but you can do something. And so that's kind of the approach that I've that I've taken. And then too, like I don't, if I meet 75% of what they're asking for, I put my ring in the hat, or my hat in the ring. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and I'd even say 75%, it, that's even like too much. I'd say if I make like if I make 40 to 50%, I'll apply for it. Because the thing is, like, you can learn stuff on the job, right? Like all of these jobs require a certain fundamental baseline level of knowledge, after which the things are just just they they stack and compound right obviously like you need to know how to code right like you need to be able to code uh but you don't need to know all the different you know tech stacks out there because that's just not optimizing well for your job search you can learn all that stuff on the job right um yeah no it's an excellent point thank you thank you very much for that uh uh, Leah, let's go to Marin. You're going to say something after that. Shout out to everybody else that joined us. Uh, Auntie's in the building. Andy Yang is in the building. Matt Blaza is in the building. Pirate are in, in the building. You guys probably can't see them on the live stream. They got the cameras off, but they are here and they're hanging out. And if you want to hang out with us, you can as well. Uh, and if you also want to hear me rant again, just just ask a question that triggers me, and you you will get a rant from me. Marin, go. Uh, yeah, uh, actually, there's not much to it. Following up on Lee and you, I had the same comment in my head right away that no, I'm never waiting for 75%. That if I meet 50% of the requirements, I'm applying. Uh, sometime even 30 to 40 is okay. Uh, the problem, I think the the person who asked that question, uh, that is this sort of experience that I have. When you look for job descriptions, you see a lot of cookie cutter sort of descriptions. Uh, it's almost like it's copied and pasted from one company to the other. I, I mean, that's the nature of data science. I mean, it's kind of messy. It's not well defined. People want to have all the bases covered, so they include everything. They include R, they include Python. But you possibly don't have that many people who know both R and Python and have done work in both of them and just killed in them. So, so don't don't worry about not having R or Python. If you have one of those, you, you're good. So you'll learn the next. If they want you to have that, you'll learn it on the job, as Katrin said. So to, to that person, don't get discouraged about the cookie cutter sort of descriptions of the position. That's that's just the nature of it. Uh, yeah. And as Leah said, look at descriptions that have some sort of unique thing. And if you like that unique thing, then focus on that first. Make it a hard priority. See if the company has something interesting that we can find about them and work on a project that is related to that position. So that, that's the way to get noticed. Yeah, Marin, thank you. And I just want to take a second here to read a couple of posts that my good friend Vin Vashista made uh, just a couple of days ago, two posts back to back. And, um, you know, shout out to there's I think there's might be 20 people watching on LinkedIn live right now. And if you're one of these people that are in positions to hire data scientists, it is up to us to make the change. Right. Um, but I'm just going to read out what Vin is saying here. Why can't companies find qualified data scientists? Their hiring process is built to eliminate them. It's not a secret. The major problems are obvious. One, most senior data scientists wouldn't pass a junior data science job interview because it has nothing to do with the actual job. And this is so fucking true. Two, qualified candidates are bounced before they make it to the hiring manager because they don't keyword stuff their resume just the right way. Three, job descriptions contain all the requirements for a data scientist, data engineer, and machine learning engineer, and they expect one person to cover three roles. Three plus rounds of interviews, spend enough time looking for flaws, and you'll find them. Even if new hires require training and onboarding, so looking for the best or perfect candidate is unrealistic. Um, I'm not sure how they expect to hire people when their entire process is built to exclude people. It's not difficult to fix either. Uh, and then goes on and says that he's built, uh, rebuilt hiring processes and got data scientists 
entire teams hired in six to 12 weeks. So yeah, I absolutely agree with this. Yes, the hiring process is a bit broken, but that doesn't mean that you don't need to go and put in the work and gain the skills to make yourself look different from everyone else. And I like this one that he, he um, he's calling all of us out, uh, all of us in terms of, you know, people who have, you know, are now, if you're watching on LinkedIn, uh, chances are that you are, are one of these senior data scientists. And let's look at what Vin is saying here. Some people apply for 50 plus data science jobs to eventually land one. Follow up with those people a year or two later, and they're successful in that role. What does that say about the hiring process at all the other companies? The frustration you have, and I share it, is that those companies don't seem to care. I've been talking about this for over four years now. That means the people who first connected with my post about hiring dysfunction are now in a position to do something about it. So just because you went through some bullshit interview round as a data science candidate doesn't mean you need to perpetuate that nonsense. If you are a senior data scientist now, if you're a hiring manager now, um, and all of us you know, here, if, if you're up and coming, you will be in that position one day. It is on you to help break this, this ludicrous cycle. Uh, but yeah, are you still angry about entry-level job that ex- asked for three years of experience? Do you remember how ridiculous the interview game was? Do, you, do people deserve have to wade through the same broken process you did? No, they don't. Start pointing out the obvious dysfunction and simple solutions. So Vin, shout out, man. Thank you for, uh, thank you for posting that. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, yes, the hiring process is broken. Um, it's just difficult. And I think it's just, you know, people perpetuating the same stuff that they went through when they were trying to get their first job and just like hazing you know, the, the new, that's what it feels like. It's just like, you feel like I'm getting hazed. Um, Asha says the best thing I learned from here is search for a job using skills instead of titles. Yes, that's absolutely true. Yeah. You can search LinkedIn, uh, job search, just type in actual skills instead of job titles. And you can find jobs that have, um, you read the job description and you're like, Oh my God, this is a data scientist. But then the title might be something different. Uh, I'm keeping track of what's going on on LinkedIn and on YouTube. Shout out to Jeremy, Jeremy uh, Ravenel. He's uh, the man behind Nas. Uh, Jeremy says, totally in sync with the approach. There's so much stuff you can do with open data. He even gives us a template for open de- open weather map. So take a look at that. Uh, mental gymnastics for data science. That's, that's what's up, John Withrow. Uh, Nanette George, my uh, coworker, Nanette. How's it going? I uh, love the transparency. Conversation is useful for many people looking for roles in data science and ML. Right on. Uh, we got Baba in the building. Baba, how's it going? Uh, so yeah, man, let's, uh, I'm, I'm taking questions. Um, you know, it's not just me ranting this hour. Uh, even though you give me an opportunity to rant, I'll just keep going. Uh, I just dig myself a hole. Uh, <laughs> if anybody got questions, let me know. Uh, I know Matt Blaza was uh, unmuted a little bit ago. I think, Matt, you wanted to, to chime in. By all means, if you still got that thought, please do uh, share it with us. Does not look like it. Um, Asha, go for it. Um, can I chime in on the, I want to chime in on the job application process. Yes, absolutely. Um, definitely apply even if you're not qualified. One thing I, I think of, of the interview process like football, right? A lot of the interviews, it's, practice for when you actually get the job so even if you don't get the job the interview will point you to something you didn't know the more on goal attempts there'll be a goal eventually so increase the on goal attempts in this case the interviews and eventually it'll come through just apply either way yeah i've learned the most from interviewing than i ever did learning on my own because i mean i don't i don't look at the tedious um take home assignments or, or any of that stuff as challenges. I look at it as learning opportunities. Like, okay, like this is something I should probably learn how to do. Like I've grown more because of the interview process than, than any other aspect of it, because it just forces me to learn new things. Right. Let's say I'm going to work at, like, I remember I applied for a data engineer role. I don't know why, but this was at the very beginning of my job search in data science, I applied for a data engineer role. They gave me a take home assignment and I was like, fuck, dude, I don't know how to do this. This is difficult. Um, but I figured it out. And now I like, now it's like, Oh man, like I could do that task over and over again. Not only that, but I've got something that's now part of my arsenal. I've got code that I've written that I've, you know, 
referred to and reused and it's it's formed a, a kind of building block for more understanding right i've applied for for jobs like now we're using nlp i didn't know a damn thing about nlp but uh, because i went through the interview process because they mentioned uh you know they mentioned certain things in the job description i treated that like it was a syllabus and i used that as a study guide right so if you approach the job search process like this every single interview you got lined up look at that particular job description as ridiculous as it might sound and look like just use it as a syllabus and use that to guide your learning process right and then give yourself a crash course in that particular thing now if you treat every single one of these things as an opportunity to learn and grow and get better then it's just it's just a game it's all fun right it's not a challenge that you have to go through it's an opportunity that you have presented in front of you to learn and grow and get better like people are telling you like these are skills that we like and we want you to demonstrate them and now you got actual like you got an actual like learning path like you know what i mean like you're just not randomly <laughs> choosing things you're, you're kind of being guided about what the market wants uh, hopefully that's making sense um Marin, go for it uh i just want to mention something from my own experience i think some people actually get discouraged in the very beginning uh, there was a period when I was applying for positions and was never invited to an interview. Uh, so, and this could, could extend two, three months and more. So, to most people for just starting, that means that you haven't, you don't have a good, you don't, you're not a strong applicant. There, there is something missing in your application that people just don't pay attention to. Either it's your resume, uh, most likely because that's what you show to the to the people who post who posted that position. So uh, make sure that you you have a pretty strong resume if you if you're new to the to the area uh, to to the industry to data science like I am transitioning from something else. Yeah, my resume was leading like, hey, I'm trying to get into data science, but I have 15 years experience in something else and I have worked in this and this and this wireless companies. So from my experience, when I was with that resume, nobody cares in data science if I have worked at five different wireless communication companies and what I have done there. Yeah, they can see that I have created products that uh, created uh, millions in profit for the companies, but that doesn't tell them much. So you need to be more specific. And at the moment when I change my resume completely to exclude anything from my previous experience, just mentioning that I'm an experienced professional with 15 years at the very bottom of the resume and my designs and whatnot created millions of profits to the companies. But the top is your skills in data science. So let's say you know Python, you know SQL, you know, you know Tableau, you know anything. Then what we have done in that sense, show some projects and describe the projects about kind of problems you solve. Once I changed my resume to that, I started getting invited to interviews. So don't get discouraged that you are not getting invited to interviews because the point is very valid. If you get invited to an interview, you'll learn from that. You're not going to pass the interview the first time. You're not going to pass the interview the second time, not even the 10th time, because there are always new things. I had an interview a couple of days ago, and the test was SQL, uh, basically testing my SQL skills. I thought that I'm pretty good at SQL. It turned out that I didn't know a couple, there were three tasks, I didn't know a couple of the, the things that they're asking me how to do, so I need to, to, to go back and learn those things too. So it takes, it's a hard work, it takes working on that and learning new things. But the first thing is you need to get invited to an interview. If you don't get invited to an interview, you're not going to learn what is expected from you. And the first step is the most difficult, but it's very easily fixable. Just do something, do projects, put the projects on your resume, and that's the first step. Thank you very much, Marin. Another question coming in from uh, Stern S on, on LinkedIn. I am an aspiring machine learning engineer currently taking a boot camp. What are the qualities the hiring manager would look 
in order to hire an entry-level ML engineer with no experience? Well, you have to think like an engineer. Why do you have to think like an engineer? Because a huge part of your workload is building systems that use analytical methods to solve business problems. And so to create systems, you need to think like an engineer. So, okay, great. What is a system? There's just a set of connected things that form a complex whole. In particular, a set of things working together as parts of a mechanism or an interconnecting network. So you need to demonstrate that you can write software. <laughs> that's the key thing. And, and, and uh, not only that, you need to demonstrate that you can write software that's reproducible because reproducibility is, is a must, right? So make sure that whatever project you have that you are designing a system, but then you also want whatever project you have uh, to, to be testable, extensible, portable, robust, reliable, and efficient, right? So whatever project you have, make sure you're not writing spaghetti code, copy pasta and code from cell to cell all over the place, or having your notebook littered with ad hoc solutions or your script written with ad hoc solutions, right? Um, because data science is software, right? Machine learning engineer is a software position. Uh, it's, you know, might not necessarily well, I'd argue that data science is not software engineering, but machine learning engineers, that is software engineering. Um, so demonstrate that you can think in systems, that you can work in systems, that you can uh, write code that is organized with documentation, is reproducible, is reusable. Um, so I think that would be some of the qualities that I would look for. Um, so just being able to organize a repository, you have a place where your data lives, place where your documentation lives, place where your visualizations, model outputs live, place where Jupyter Notebook lives, place for references, a place for source code, place for helper files, you got it all organized in a nice, neat repository, right? Uh, so code quality, code organization, demonstrate you can do that. Demonstrate that you can write code that's clean, uh, has a logical structure, and um, it's modular. That means, you know, it's easy to uh, create this system that we're talking about. Because um, when your code is organized and when your code is clean, um, it means that anyone that comes to your project to look at it, they can begin to understand your, what you're doing without digging into a lot of extensive documentation, right? So that is some of the things that uh, I would look for. The biggest thing is just systems mindset, just thinking in systems. Leah says that makes my software engineering heart so happy. Leah, t talk to us a little bit more about that. What else uh, should a machine learning engineer aspirant, um, what, what are some qualities that you would look for uh, that would make your software engineer heart happy? <laughs> well, I think you really hit the nail on the head about just kind of being organized and knowing that um, you're going to be part of a part of a team and having like a certain level of having a tidy code base, having your things organized and putting thought into it because you, you know, you'll come back to it later or you'll hand it off to another person. And, you know, as part of a system, it's one piece in a system. So it needs to be, you know, kind of a certain level of professionalism and being polished and finished. And also just easily understood. So if someone's like looking around trying to find, well, where's the data? Where, you know, uh, even having well thought out like uh, file names or variable names and that sort of thing. Uh, it's kind of those little things uh, of being, doing, doing your future self a favor about having good uh, organizational skills about how you write your software and how you set up your repositories. You know, that, that's so helpful. It helps you and it helps other people on your team. So I think that um, is a very good thing to kind of keep in mind that, you know, don't be like ashamed of your code or don't think that, you know, oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm not that organized. Just, you know, just work at it and make those improvements. Think about, think about the other people on your, they'll be working with you as a team and, you know, even if that's not super motivating, think about your future self. If you come back to that project like a month later, help your future self out by having it set up to where you can quickly understand what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, 100 percent, man. And uh, that's the nice thing about Python is that it's like so readable, like by humans, like, you know, that, that you can go back and, and kind of understand what you're doing, even without good documentation, although you should always have good documentation for your code. Um, I think uh, I was. That, yeah, it was Travis Oliphant 
creator of NumPy and SciPy. I was listening to an interview with him on the Lex Friedman podcast, and he was talking about uh, what drew him to pot. Uh, uh, sorry, what drew him to Python was um, the fact that he revisited what he did a couple of years later and was like, "Oh, I still understand this stuff." I mean, that, that's huge. That's that's key. Um, so hopefully that was um, helpful. Stern, let us know if you got any follow up questions. Uh, Jeremy on LinkedIn. Uh, Triple thumbs up on the systems. There you go, man. Triple thumbs up on the systems. Right. So uh, if anybody has questions, let me know. Uh, shout out to Baba Bharat and Chin Mei. Uh, you guys right here who are uh, in the room. Cameras are off. That's okay. If you're shy, you're shy. It's all good. Uh, but let me know if you guys got questions. I'm keeping an eye out on youtube and on linkedin if you're watching this on linkedin by the way smash a reaction make sure you share this with your network uh, help spread the word man we're doing these uh, sunday office hours uh, for a while on sunday until we start moving them to a different um different date and time uh great advice here from from Bharat, uh, on the ml engineer note yeah definitely uh, the full stack deep learning course is amazing um I've not taken it in its entirety, but definitely is a, a good course. And I think it is completely free if I am not mistaken. Pretty sure it's, it's free. I know Makiko, a uh, good friend of mine, Makiko, is, is big on, uh, on full stack deep learning as well. And while you guys are out there, make sure you're managing your experiments, right? Experiment management is key. Uh, a great way to manage your experiments is using Comet. Uh, I might add. I might add. Using Comet is a good way to manage your experiments. Real though, it really is, and it's completely free for 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 you guys to to sign up as an individual. So if you go to Comet.ml, let me pull this up real quick. You guys can go to Comet.ml, and here's what it looks like when you log in. Right, like I was just playing around a little bit. Here's a project, and this is what what Comet ML looks like. Um, it, it shows how my batch loss is comparing against each step. Uh, and I can look at different, um, like different metrics as well. Um, and I'm tracking all of my experiments, tracking the different hyperparameters and what the output was and uh, logging artifacts and stuff like that. I can go here, look at a confusion matrix. I can see, you know, what was wrong. Okay, well, here's a zero that was misclassified as an eight, right? Here was some misclassifications. This was misclassified as a three, so he gets really, uh, really, like really good feedback on on, on Comet. Uh, you can also track metrics as well. Uh, another great thing about it is track all your code and then the artifacts as well. Artifacts being the data, so you log the data in this run, but you can log your data as well using Comet. So version controls your data as well as your code and your hyperparameters and your models. So definitely check out Comet ML if you have not already. Uh, you'll be hearing me give more presentations on that. We'll be, we'll be pumping out more content with more interesting use cases. If you are listening, uh, if you're here, if you wanna see some interesting stuff get done, any ideas for a project you'd like to see worked out, go ahead and let us know. You can either send me an email at harpreet at comet.ml or you can comment right here on this video and uh, we'll, we'll take note of that, man. Let me know if there's stuff that you guys uh, want to see get done. Be happy to do it, man. Any type of projects. Um, any other questions coming in? Let me know. Let me know, my friends. Jeremy on LinkedIn says exactly. Python is so clean to read. I went to Python after years of Excel and VBA in finance. Yeah, I was uh, using a lot of VBA back when I was an actuary, and uh, it was not, wasn't that uh, intuitive, I would say. Um, it was very different, VBA. I remember trying to write the Black-Scholes formula in VBA to like do some options pricing, and that was quite challenging. Have that run in an uh, Excel spreadsheet. Um, all right, we got we got some new people in the room. Akshay, Kalra, what's going on? Chinmay, Parath, Baba. Look, man, if you guys got questions, now's the time to ask you a question, man. Uh, I know you guys didn't just uh, come in here just to hear me rant. You got questions? I might not have an answer, but I could probably point you to the right resource. So uh, go for it, man. Uh, Akshay or Baba or Parath, 
I know Chinmay is not uh, connected to audio, uh, so that's fine. But if anybody has questions, let me know. I'm also looking on LinkedIn and YouTube. Otherwise, I can start to wind it down. 16 people watching on LinkedIn, now 15, now 14. It is dropping. My friends, cannot have the office hours without your questions. I'll pause. I think I'm picking up dead air. All right, all right. So, Leah, talk to us real quick about your uh, so data analytics, data scientist by way of software engineering. What was your trajectory like to uh, transition um, into data science? For me, it was um, like finding a random course on Coursera like years ago. I was doing software engineering and um, I found this cool class on like doing data analysis from Johns Hopkins on Coursera. And I started to do it kind of for fun. And I also started to do more things with using statistics. And even though I'd been doing software, I was kind of a math phobic <laughs> and, and statistics was like a more, a, a nicer math. You know, I was like, oh, I could, I could, I could, I don't feel so intimidated about statistics. So it just interested me. And, you know, I kind of did that as a hobbyist. And recently I had the opportunity to do a data science boot camp. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm just going to do a career, not, not a huge shift, but a little pivot from software into, into data. So, so now I'm, you know, looking more at, you know, taking my software skills and using that to, um, you know, build this foundation for doing more with data analysis and with, with the data science. And, and I did get hit up for, um, you know, data engineer jobs as well. So <laughs> I was like, well, that makes sense, you know, because it seems like um, a, a natural kind of progression. So, so that's what made the, made the shift. Thank you so much for sharing the experience, Leah. Yeah, I mean, stats is awesome. Like, I, I mean, I, I love probability theory uh, more than the rest of statistics, but uh, statistics is useful and has its place. All right, Baba is asking two questions. All right. For a fresher, how to prepare for computer vision roles? All right. Um, I mean, first, I would, I would, I would. Here, here's a great resource. I'm going to link you to real quick. Check this out. First, understand what computer vision is and what it is used for. So, if you don't know what computer vision is, how it's used, then start here. Six significant computer vision problems solved by ML. I think you can look through here. And the first thing is, is, um, I mean, you need to get your hand on some good learning resources, right? So. Uh, a couple of good places I would look to is, um, I think, my friend, John Crone, has some resources on this. Uh, I thought he did, but he did not. So, I mean, if, if just to get started, just understand what a CNN is. And how does a CNN work, those convolutional neural networks? I think that is probably foundational for... Um, for computer vision. So just get an understanding of that. Um, so I would recommend a couple of really good books here if you're interested in getting, I mean, if you're a fresher and you're jumping right to computer vision without having a foundation in you know, other data science topics, probably not gonna set yourself up for success long-term. That being said, that warning being given, um, this is a really good book right here, Deep Learning Illustrated, right? And this has an entire section here on computer vision uh, and it's written completely without any uh there's there's no math everything is, is kind of taught uh, visually and intuitively so it is a very good read for that and they have uh like three chapters on convolutional neural networks so i think definitely check that out another good book is uh deep learning illustrated so it's a good book as well definitely check these out um, so yeah, I mean, I didn't answer your question because like, I don't really have like a, a full path for you. I think that would take uh, a lot more back and forth conversation, but do keep in mind that in the near future uh, at Comet, I will be having like a learning journey for computer vision. So, you know, keep an eye out for that. And, uh, hopefully my useless answer was not that bad. Um, how important is SQL? How to, how to master it? Okay. Well, SQL is important, right? So now you're asking two unrelated questions. Are you trying to do computer vision or are you trying to do SQL? Because I'm sure that people who are working in computer vision probably don't need to use much SQL, right? Uh, so, so there's a disconnect there, right? So I don't know many computer vision experts 
who are using SQL on a day-to-day, maybe they are, um, because computer vision inherently deals with unstructured data, whereas SQL is very structured data. So uh, either way, SQL is important. You need to know how to do it, but it's not hard to, to get good at. How do you master it? Start learning it. I mean, how do you master anything? You practice, you just do it over and over and over, right? You don't just listen to lectures and and that and just have that be it, right? Um, you learn SQL by just doing it, straight up doing it. Um, you're a data scientist currently in India. My advice is completely useless in India. I've, you know, I might look Indian because I am, but I've never had to go to school in India. I never had to work for in, in India. never had to look for a job in India. Uh, I'm North American. North America, US, and Canada is my area of expertise. And most of the people I've helped are in North America. Uh, India is an entirely different country, culture, value system. And you have literally 300 times the population of Canada. So you all got more competition just looking for the same jobs that I would be looking for. Um, so Akshay says, not sure what should be the right path. Studying abroad is one option, but how good are chances of the job hunting at a global level since a lot of companies can't offer sponsorship? Um, yeah, I don't know what the right path is going to be for you either, my friend. Um, like that, that's a huge decision that you, know, you shouldn't trust to strangers. Like really think about it, right? Like, what is it that you want to accomplish, right? Do you, like, do you, like, or what it is that you want to accomplish in life? Is it necessary for you to leave India and pursue higher education somewhere else in the world, right? I don't know what it is you're trying to do with your life. I don't know what you're trying to accomplish, but just to ask yourself that question. Figure out what it is you want to do, what it is you want to accomplish, and then ask yourself, for me to do this thing or accomplish that thing, is it necessary for me to go to school or live or work in a foreign country, right? If the answer to that is no, then get your ass to work where you are and start making that thing happen. Uh, that being said, Akshay, I see you're yeah, unmuted. So, yeah. Hi, Harpreet. So, um, yeah. So uh, I was not speaking earlier because uh, uh, there was a noise in my background. So no, uh, is my voice, is my voice clear. clear? Absolutely. Yeah. Clear. So my question here is that... Um, so I, I'm currently working in India as a data scientist. Okay. So I want to explore opportunities abroad as a data scientist or as a machine learning engineer. And uh, I see that there is a lot of difficulty when you go and find job at a global level because the companies uh, can't afford uh, visa sponsorship. And uh, yeah, I, I actually do not want to uh, do a graduation from uh, any, uh, uh, any, any foreign uh, university. So I just want to explore opportunities at a global level. So my question was that how should I... Uh, proceed or what should be my path for uh, this job hunt? I don't know, man. I, I, I can't give you advice on that because that's not a challenge that I've had to face in my life ever. Um, so I, I'm not going to be the best person to ask for that. Uh, so I, I really can't help you in that respect, man. Like I'm going to say stuff that's going to be inapplicable, uh, but maybe Marin can. Uh, I don't know how relevant it is, but when I started a couple of years ago looking for what do we need to do to learn that sense, learning and the first one of the articles that I read was actually how successful candidates are in getting a job in different countries. I, I forgot really the link, it was a couple of years ago, but there was a very good comparison between people with no experience or very little experience applying for that kind of job and that what struck me was in the US it was one out of maybe below 10, one out of 10 or one out of 20 would get a job. In the UK, it was three out of 10. So do some sort of research where the market, the demand for data scientists is really good and there is not that much supply. From my understanding, the United States is actually probably the hardest country to get into data science. Your story is different because you're already data scientists, but still the competition is very, very strong and it's difficult to break through. I'll think yeah. somewhere, somewhere in Europe, it's probably easier. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and and that's what I remember. My my head was like, wow, United States, you have 
less than one in ten one in ten chance to get a job if you're just starting in the UK. Three times better than that. So if I had to choose and if I had the option to go to UK, I'll do it in a heartbeat. So look, this is my 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 stance on this, right? And you take it with a grain of salt, like whatever. I mean. If there are qualified candidates for a role who are citizens of your country, then you should probably hire those people first, right? I think that companies that are based in a certain country have a duty and an obligation to hire their own citizens first, right? And then maybe after their citizens, permanent residences, right? Um, that's just a, just my philosophical standpoint. Now, that being said, yeah, it's difficult for anybody to come into a new country to try to find a job, right? Um, if that's a difficulty you want to place yourself in, then definitely go through that path and, and put yourself in that difficult situation. Or can you ask yourself, all right, can I make a big difference in my own country with my own skill set, right? And it seems like India is a place you could do that. It's technologically advanced in some places. Like, I don't, I don't know much about India. I don't know why you want to come to USA. Maybe you, you just think it's cooler here. But can you do something big in your own country with the skills you have and make an impact there, right? Um, so... Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about having to uh, job hunt on a global level. Look, man, I'm North American. Uh, my woes have only ever been in North America, so I'm just speaking from that point of view. Uh, Bharat is asking, do we really need a master's to break into data science abroad? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if you really need a master's to break into data science abroad. Uh, software engineer in India want to break into data science. Want to break into data science jobs in the U.S. So let me ask you this, Bharat. Like, why not just try to break into a data science job in India? So, like, what? I mean, that this question might, you know, let's just see why. Why the U.S.? Why do you guys want to move to the U.S.? Like, why do you want to leave India and become a data scientist? If you're already a data scientist in India, why do you want to become a data scientist in the U.S.? I guess that that would be my question. Um, I'd love to hear from Bharat or Akshay on that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, you go ahead, Bharat, first. Right, thanks, Akshay. So, um, my quip is first, I want to break into data science, and like the US is just an added bonus, and it's not like a priority to break to get into the US. I'm, I'll make that clear though. I, but I'm having trouble breaking into it in India itself, and I might be having some misgivings or misconceptions that the competition in US is way lesser, but no, dude, the competition in the US is going to be far more difficult because now you're going against people who are graduating from the absolute best universities in the world because uh, most of the absolute best universities in the world are in the US. So if you think it's going to be easier to get a job in the US, I think you as a foreign, it's not. It's going to be more difficult. Um, absolutely more difficult. Uh, that's for sure. Um, so anyway, I, this is probably something that we could talk about on my own personal office hours, not in this one. Uh, so let's uh, let's go ahead and, and um, let's go ahead and move past this question. Just I just want to put that seed uh, for for thought there. Like why why not just you know try to make things better for yourself in your country than than try to move to USA? I don't know. Like I might get I might get a lot of heat for for even posing that question. Uh, but I think it's something that you guys should definitely think about. Uh, if you are under the misconception that it'll be quote unquote easier for you to get a job in the USA, I think you are absolutely wrong. It'll probably be more difficult because first of all, you have the visa issue to face. Um, and that in itself will make it a relatively difficult challenge to undertake. Uh, last question we're going to take from LinkedIn is from Derek what would you say the best practice is for mentorship? Do you recommend having mentors from multiple industries, multiple disciplines, or mentors in your industry and discipline? So best practice for mentorship is just view anyone you encounter uh, as a mentor. You don't need to like actually like sit and talk with that person for that person to be your mentor. Some of my best mentors, um, for example, Naval Ravikant, I consider him to be a mentor of mine. Never spoken with the guy, probably never will, but I take a lot of knowledge in from him and reflect on that. Um, so the, the best practice for mentorship is just don't assume that it needs to be a one-on-one -on -one game. Take the opportunity to interact with, with ideas, uh, from different times, even right. Read old books, 
look to people who are currently alive that you that have written books and read their books and get their ideas right because if you read a book that somebody wrote you're downloading decades and days right highly recommend having mentors from multiple industries absolutely right um so like for me a lot of my quote-unquote mentors are uh angel investors philosophers physicists um like the only mentor i have in data science i mean not the quote-unquote only but I've got many mentors in data science, but my biggest mentor in data science is, is probably Vin Vashista. Like, uh, hands down, my, my biggest mentor would be Vin. Um, you know, also followed by Tom and, and Joe and, and Ben and all those guys. Right? Those, those guys are all my friends. I love them a lot. Um, but yeah, I'd say Vin would be like the person I would consider my mentor. Um, but I don't have mentoring sessions with him. Like, I don't like regularly meet up with Vin and talk to him about my issues and my problems. I just look at what he's saying in various interviews i read his post and i reflect on it and then i kind of merge that in with my own thinking and try to find ways to connect ideas to my own experience from what he's saying so i think that's probably the best way to uh, use a mentor all right uh does not look like there are any other questions my friends thank you so much for joining in here really appreciate you guys taking time to come and hang out great questions great sessions uh and as usual Remember to tune into my podcast, The Artists of Data Science. Uh, very proud of that podcast. I think it is phenomenal. And I think you guys will enjoy it as well. Uh, so tune in. Let me know what you think. And as usual, my friends, remember, you've got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers, everyone. <laughs>